Hey everybody, welcome to the Washington University Emergency Medicine Journal Club podcast, March 2015. This month's topic, I think, is a great one. We actually decided to look at two different but very closely related questions. Question number one is the more controversial question. It is, should we be giving albumin to patients after doing a large volume paracentesis? I've seen answers that are all over the board on this one. Some people routinely give it after doing a large volume paracentesis. Some people never do, and some people only give it if the patient is borderline hypotensive. The second question we decided to look at is something new, something I'd never heard of before, and that is, should we be giving albumin to patients with spontaneous bacterial peritonitis? Now, this is something I'd never heard of before, but one of my colleagues had a medicine team ask them to give albumin to a patient they had diagnosed with SBP. Apparently, this is the recommendation. I'd never heard of this before, and neither had my colleague. We asked around, and most of our colleagues hadn't heard of it either. So, we decided to go straight to the evidence and actually look at what the evidence shows. Does it improve any sort of outcomes? So, this month I'm doing things a little bit differently. I invited the four residents who presented the four articles at our journal club to come and present them for the podcast. Unfortunately, I was only able to schedule three of them, and the fourth couldn't really find the time to get it done. That's okay. I've got presentations from three of our excellent residents, our intern, Dr. Caitlin Fuqua, one of our third-year residents, Dr. Lewis Jamcard, and one of our senior residents who's about to graduate, Dr. Wes Watkins, who's been on the podcast before. So without further ado, we'll get started. Dr. Fuqua is here to tell us about the first paper. Kate, take it away. Okay, so the interns analyzed the meta-analysis by Bernardi that was called Albumin Infusion in Patients Undergoing Large-Volume Paracentesis, a Meta-Analysis of Randomized Trials, and this is from Hepatology from 2012. So basically, the meta-analysis looked at 17 different RCTs that evaluated the effect of giving albumin after large-volume paracentesis, and they compared it against either no treatment, other volume expanders, and then they compared it to vasoconstrictors as well. And the main outcomes that they looked at was the effect on development of post-paracentesis circulatory dysfunction, which for this particular paper they define as an increased renin activity greater than 50%. Another outcome that they looked at was the development of hyponatremia, and then the third main outcome was mortality. And then they also had a lot of secondary outcomes that they looked at, such as hospital readmission, reoccurrence of ascites, etc. Some of the limitations had to do with blinding of the studies. Only two of the studies were blinded to patients and clinicians. One of them was blinded to the laboratory. And then a lot of the studies, the remaining 14, didn't talk about blinding. So it's unclear what their methods were. And then in looking at randomization, it talked about randomization in 10 of the trials. However, in the remaining seven, they didn't talk about it. So those are some of the limitations of the 17 studies. Looking at the results of the studies, basically when the results were pooled, they found that the use of albumin did show a decrease in the rate of post-paracentesis circulatory dysfunction when they looked at albumin versus no treatment and albumin versus the other vasoconstrictors and volume expanders. And then as far as the hyponatremia, they also found a clinically significant advantage to using albumin as compared to the other treatments. 
And then the third outcome was mortality. They found a benefit, but this was not statistically significant. And then in none of their secondary outcomes that they looked at, which again were some of the more clinically relevant outcomes, such as hospital readmission, ascites recurrence, none of those showed a clinically significant benefit to using albumin. So basically, when we talked about this article in Journal Club, our consensus was that there is a benefit to using albumin after doing large-volume paracentesis when you looked at the development of the post-paracentesis circulatory dysfunction as well as hyponatremia, although as emergency physicians, we were a little bit unsure what the exact clinical relevance of increased plasma renin activity was. I think we all sort of agreed it would have been nice to know if using albumin decreased the length of stay, whether it increased patients' overall outcomes um, and improved their outcomes and quality of life, which are things that obviously were a little bit harder to look at and weren't talked about in this meta-analysis. But overall, I think considering the relatively low cost of albumin compared to some of the other things that we do, it is something that should definitely be considered when doing a large volume paracentesis. Okay, so a recommendation for it, but not a very strong one, it sounds like. Right. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's reasonable. We talk about patient important outcomes versus surrogate outcomes. Patient important outcomes are things like mortality and significant morbidity. This change in renin activity level sounds like one of these surrogate outcomes, the clinical significance of which we're not entirely sure. Right. And then the other big thing you talked about was the studies overall were a pretty poor methodological quality. So it's really tough to interpret these results and apply them to our patients when the studies weren't so great. So recommended, but uh, kind of a weak one. Right. All yep. right. Sounds Agreed. great. Thank you, Dr. Fuqua. Right. Thank you. So as I alluded to earlier, our second year resident could not make it to record the podcast. He's been working his butt off in the ER, and I can't blame him for not being able to schedule this. So instead, I'm going to present the article. This one is called Effect of Intravenous Albumin on Renal Impairment and Mortality in Patients with Cirrhosis and Spontaneous Bacterial Peritonitis. This is from the New England Journal of Medicine from 1999. And this one's actually a multi-center randomized controlled trial. They conducted this at seven different university hospitals in Spain between 1995 and 1997. They included adults, so age 18 to 80 years with cirrhosis and SBP, they excluded patients with secondary peritonitis, patients who'd received prior antibiotics, those with other infections, those with shock, uh, and those with cardiac failure. All patients were given IV cefotaxime, and patients were then randomized to receive either albumin or not to receive albumin. Those who got albumin were given 1.5 grams per kilogram in the first six hours after enrollment, followed by one gram per kilogram on day three. Their primary endpoints were mortality and renal impairment. They define renal impairment as an increase in either BUN or creatinine by more than 50% to a level higher than 30 milligrams per deciliter in the case of BUN or 1.5 milligrams per deciliter in the case of creatinine. In patients whose BUN or creatinine were already above those levels, they define renal impairment as an increase by more than 50% from baseline. They enrolled a total of 126 patients, 63 of whom were randomized to cefotaxime alone and 63 to cefotaxime plus albumin. And what they found was a significant reduction in the incidence of renal impairment in patients in the cefotaxime plus albumin group, where 10% developed renal impairment compared to 33% in the control group for an odds ratio of 0.21 and a 95% confidence interval of 0.08 to 0.57. 
To put that in simpler terms, they needed to treat five patients with albumin to prevent one patient from developing renal impairment. For mortality, they also found a significant reduction. For in-hospital mortality, it was 10% in the treatment group versus 29% in the control group, an odds ratio of 0.26 with a 95% confidence interval from 0.10 to 0.72. Again, a number needed to treat of about five to prevent one in-hospital mortality. They also looked at 90-day mortality and found similar results. 22% of patients in the treatment group died within 90 days, compared with 41% in the control group. For an odds ratio of 0.41, 95% confidence interval, 0.19 to 0.89, and again, a number needed to treat of about five to prevent one patient from dying within the next 90 days. In terms of study limitations, I think the biggest is the fact that this was not a blinded study. This was open label, and both patients and clinicians and outcome assessors were aware of group allocation. In terms of study size, this wasn't a really large study, but it wasn't small either, 126 patients included. And the results are pretty compelling, pretty significant reductions in both mortality and renal impairment, numbers needed to treat of only around five for each of those outcomes, with a treatment that is otherwise pretty benign. Giving albumin to these patients has very few downsides and is not super expensive. So the results are pretty hard to ignore despite the lack of blinding. The one other limitation of the study is that there was a baseline difference in the serum bilirubin levels between the groups. There was a higher level in the cefotaxime-only group, the mean of about 6, compared to the cefotaxime plus albumin group where the mean was 4. Now this is important because baseline serum albumin level was found to be an independent predictor for the development of renal impairment and mortality. So despite randomization, the cefotaxime-only group began the study with a worse prognosis. How much that affected the outcomes? We don't really know, and I'd say given the size of the effect that we saw, it's pretty likely that there is still benefit to giving albumin. All right, now Lewis Jampgard is going to tell us about the third-year article. Take it away, Lewis. Okay, so the third paper was titled, Albumin Infusion Improves Outcome of Patients with Spontaneous Bacterial Peritonitis, a Meta-Analysis of Randomized Trials. It was published in Clinical Gastroenterology and Hepatology from 2013. So this was a meta-analysis where they were trying to find all the randomized controlled trials that involved patients who were diagnosed with SBP and the potential treatment effect of albumin. They actually did a pretty extensive search. They started with Medline, Embase, Cochrane. They also looked at unpublished studies. They went to clinicaltrials.gov. They also looked at abstracts from major meetings focusing on gastroenterology and hepatology. They also looked at some of the source index in Google. So I thought it was a pretty thorough search for relevant topics. They found a total of 64 trials that were identified and finally included four randomized control trials for the meta-analysis. As far as the quality of the studies, all four were randomized. Three of those were randomized by computer. Interestingly, one was randomized by a coin toss. Only one of the four trials was actually blinded. Two of the trials had greater than 100 participants, where the other two trials only had 20 and 30 participants. So for the results, 288 patients were included for the analysis. The rate of renal impairment was 30.6% for control versus 8.3% in the albumin group, an odds ratio of 0.21 
and a 95% confidence interval 0.11 to 0.42 with a number needed to treat of 4. For mortality, the mortality rate in the control group was 35.4% versus 16% in the albumin group with an odds ratio of 0.34 and a 95% confidence interval of 0.19 to 0.60 with a number needed to treat of 5. So there were a few limitations with this study. There was some heterogeneity between the studies. Only one of the four trials was actually blinded. For one of the trials, the control group was actually using hydroxyethyl starch. One of the studies actually administered albumin over 21 days, where the other ones had administration over three days. So there was some difference in the timing of the actual treatments. Yeah, we, we talk about heterogeneity anytime we talk about a meta-analysis. And even though they calculated I-squared statistics for the studies and found that there was no heterogeneity, in other words, no difference in the outcomes between the studies, there's still significant clinical heterogeneity between some of the studies, like you said. The control group differed in one of the studies. The duration of administration differed in the other studies. And that's important. Even though the I-squared statistic is zero, it doesn't mean that the studies are all the same and necessarily should be combined. And I think another thing that came into my mind when I was looking at the results of this study was, one, what type of fluid were the patients receiving in the other three trials? We know for the control, for one, they were getting hydroxyethyl starch. But were the other patients getting just normal saline? Were they under-resuscitated? I was looking at this and thinking people who have an SBP, they're demonstrating sears or almost sepsis, and could some of the treatment benefit we see, could this be just from early fluid administration and hydration? Yeah, so not necessarily the albumin itself, but simply the fact that they were getting volume of some kind. Right. That's reasonable. Another thing I was looking at was the administration here. They had said within six hours. I think something that probably needs to be done in the future is looking at early administration of albumin and doing it from an ER perspective. So administering albumin within the first hour of diagnosis, within the first four hours of diagnosis, within the first six hours, and seeing if there's actually a difference with administering albumin earlier and earlier. All right. Well, thank you, Lewis. All right. All right, guys. Now I have Wes Watkins here to close us out with the final and fourth article. Wes, take it away. All right. Thanks for having me. Our article that I'm reviewing is called Albumin Reduces Paracentesis-Induced Circulatory Dysfunction and Reduces Death and Renal Impairment Among Patients with Cirrhosis and Infection, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. This is by Dr. Squawk et al., and it was published in August of 2013. So in this paper, they really asked three questions. Question one was, is albumin beneficial in cirrhotic patients undergoing large-volume paracentesis? Question two is, is albumin useful in cirrhotic patients with infections? And number three, is albumin superior to other volume expanders in a cirrhotic patient? They looked through Medline and Embase for randomized controlled trials. They found 16 randomized controlled trials that fit their criteria. For their methodological quality assessment, only 10 of the trials had an adequate sequence generation for the randomization, and only two of the trials had adequate allocation concealment and blinding of patients was unclear, so overall these trials weren't of the highest quality. In answers to their questions, the first question being, is albumin useful in large-volume paracentesis? There were three studies. Albumin was associated with a significant reduction in only one of their outcomes, and that was paracentesis-induced circulatory dysfunction, with an odds ratio of 0.96 
the 95% confidence interval of 0.08 to 0.93. And no other significant differences were observed. So mortality and renal impairment were two of the big ones that they looked at, and no difference seen there. Correct, correct. It's important to note that the only significant reduction was only found in one trial. There was only one trial that looked at that, so that's not really new information. So question two, is albumin better than other volume expanders in paracentesis? They found eight studies that attempted to answer this question. When they pooled all of these studies, they found that there was no difference between volume expanders in large volume paracentesis. There was no difference in the risk of death, encephalopathy, infection, or renal impairment. Question three, is albumin useful in infections and sepsis? There were five studies that answered this question, two that answered it in the context of a non-spontaneous bacterial peritonitis setting, and three that answered it in the setting of SBP. And they thought that this was one of the reasons why their study was superior and that previously studies had only looked at SBP patients. When all the infections were looked at, so SPP and non-SPP, they did show a death reduction with an odds ratio of 0.46, then a confidence interval of 0.25, this is 0.86, and a decrease in renal impairment with an odds ratio of 0.34, confidence interval of 0.15 to 0.75. It's important to note that when they parsed these out and looked at just SPP versus non-SPP, there was a reduced risk of death in the SPP group but not in the non-SPP group. So although overall, when they pulled these together, there was a reduction, it really only looked like it was in the SPP group. The limitations that they cite are, one, that the quality of studies is generally poor. Blinding wasn't used. We already talked a little bit about those limitations. The sample size was small in each of the individual studies, and only a few studies were included in each of these questions. So what's the bottom line, Wes? Based on the results of this meta-analysis, what kind of recommendations would you make and how strong would those recommendations be? So their recommendations are, one, that albumin decreases paracentesis-induced circulatory collapse, which is fair given their findings, but it has to be noted that that was, once again, just one single trial that, had, that supported that. And that was for patients undergoing the large-volume paracentesis. Correct. And it didn't reduce mortality, didn't reduce renal impairment, and really, it's kind of one of those surrogate outcomes like we talked about earlier in one of the other studies. It's also important to note that that study only included 72 patients. So this is a pretty small study overall. And so what about patients with infection and patients with SBP? So it appears that particularly in SBP, albumin does reduce the risk of death and renal failure. It's still probably unclear whether or not that applies to other infections. So overall, my personal take-home from this is if we are worried about circulatory dysfunction, that someone's you know, on the precipice of hypotension, that albumin's not a bad choice. And then as far as volume resuscitation during infection, I think it's fairly well supported that if you have an SBP, that albumin is probably the go-to. All right. Well, thanks, Wes. Thanks for joining me. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's talk about overall recommendations for these two clinical scenarios. First, for patients with spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. I'll tell you first what the American Association for the Study of Liver Diseases recommends in their guidelines, and I'm going to read straight from it. Patients with acidic fluid PMN counts greater than or equal to 250 cells and clinical suspicion of SBP who also have a serum creatinine greater than 1, a BUN greater than 30, or a total bilirubin greater than 4 should receive 1.5 grams of albumin per kilogram of body weight within 6 hours of detection and 1 gram per kilogram on day 3. So they do recommend giving albumin for patients with SBP, assuming they either have an elevated creatinine above 1, B 
BUN above 30, or bilirubin above 4. I would guess that that's most of our patients with SBP. These recommendations are based somewhat on subgroup analyses that we didn't really go into in the studies that were looked at. I think I agree with those recommendations. I think I would even consider giving it in patients who didn't have elevated creatinine, BUN, or bilirubin levels, but I'll leave that up to you. And given the recommendation that albumin be given within the first six hours, I think it's a pretty good idea that we start giving this in the emergency department. Now, it all depends on where you work. If you're at an institution where you get beds pretty rapidly and your patients get out of the ER pretty quickly, it probably doesn't make a big difference. If you work somewhere like I do, where patients tend to wait around in the ER for several hours, sometimes overnight, waiting for their beds, you got to start these things in the emergency department. For our second question, albumin infusions for patients undergoing large-volume paracentesis, the AASLD recommends the following. For large-volume paracentesis, an albumin infusion of 6 to 8 grams per liter of fluid removed appears to improve survival and is recommended. This recommendation is for patients having more than 4 to 5 liters of fluid removed. And I'll tell you, this recommendation doesn't really jive with what we saw in our look at these studies. And here's why. This recommendation is based on a different meta-analysis. This separate meta-analysis pulled the results of all 17 studies looking at albumin infusion in patients undergoing paracentesis. The problem is those 17 studies were then combined to give a single pooled odds ratio that did show an improvement in survival. Unfortunately, those 17 results probably shouldn't have been pooled. There was a huge amount of heterogeneity. They pooled the results of studies comparing albumin to no treatment, the results of studies comparing albumin to other volume expanders, the results of studies comparing albumin to vasopressors. I'm not sure how you can justify pooling those results to give yourself a single odds ratio. The reason to do it, of course, is it increases your precision and it decreases your 95% confidence interval. And when you do that, you can find a statistically significant result, which is what they did and which is what drives this recommendation. I don't agree with pooling the results of those studies. I agree with pooling the results of studies comparing albumin to no treatment. When you do that, you don't find a statistically significant decrease in mortality. So I'm still of the opinion that there's not great evidence that this improves survival. I think the recommendations that they used to have back in 2009, which were much softer, are more accurate. And that is, for large volume paracentesis, an albumin infusion can be considered. I think that's reasonable. It might reduce post-paracentesis circulatory dysfunction, and if you're worried about that, it might be worth giving. I don't think there's any evidence that it reduces mortality, and I don't think the recommendation should be quite so strong. So that is all I've got for this month. Thank you guys for listening in, and thanks to Drs. Fuqua, Jampgarden, Watkins for joining me on the podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we are at EMJ Club. Like us on Facebook, where we're also EMJ Club. And visit our website, emjclub.com. Hope to see you guys back next time. <laughs>